listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and leader of the firm's inbound tax practice. We're glad to have you join us. Enjoy the program. Today we'll be talking about a key piece of Mexican tax reform, the deduction disallowance or anti-deduction rules. In concept, this is a little like the U.S. beat. So you test the efficacy of cross-border related party payments. If they don't pass, there's an economic haircut to the deduction. And as we know, in the beat universe, the, the haircut is currently 10%. The rate is going to vary over time. The Mexican version looks a little bit different, both in terms of the way the payment is tested and in terms of the level of disallowance. And that's what we'll be exploring in this episode. All right, so joining me today are Courtney Wallace, my co-host and international tax principal from our Detroit office, Armando Lara, head of KPMG's international tax practice in Mexico, and Jeff Burns, state and local tax partner from Chicago. Thanks, Kim. Since the rules went into effect earlier this year, we've gotten a lot of calls on this and how they work in practice. I think in large part so folks can understand how this might impact their provisions. I agree. I think there was a lot of confusion and there's a lot of angst surrounding these rules because a straight up disallowance is nothing to play around with. (laughs) Armando, thanks so much for joining us. Could you give us a high level summary and get us started on how these rules work? Yes, Kim, happy to do it. The new rules may deny deductions of certain payments made directly or even indirectly to related parties that are low tax. Low tax means having an effective income tax rate of less than 22.5%. In many cases, provided that special hybrid rules do not apply, low tax payees may retain their Mexican deduction if the foreign related person can demonstrate that it has sufficient personal and assets to earn the payment. Armando, you just told us that these rules set up a 22.5% hurdle. And let's be honest here, we are just not going to make that on the federal level, at least not in the United States post-tax reform. So I think that means we're going to be calling Jeff for help. No, that's right, Kim. If we look at the federal rate alone, a taxpayer would never reach the 22.5% hurdle. This is why state and local income tax is going to be a significant component of the measurement. From a state perspective, there's possibly thousands of taxes to consider. But hang on. I think for financial statement purposes, state ETR, isn't that only state and local income taxes so that you have a pre-scoped number? Does that help? You're right. For financial statement purposes, the state effective tax rate typically consists of state and local income taxes only. But the question really is, how is that rate measured? You can have an apportioned DTR by entity or at the consolidated group level that really looks at just apportionment times a statutory rate versus what's actually happening in the financial statements. That ETR can consider mostly things that happen in current and deferred attributes like NOLs, credits, and valuation allowance, and it really looks at it from a consolidated perspective of what's happening on the balance sheet so that all the lines that make up the federal ETR for financial statement purposes are really pushed into one line in the financial statements for state and local tax. And so by saying that, I also think, well, could we consider other gross receipt-based taxes, states like Washington, Ohio, Texas, or really how does Mexico view that ETR? In Mexico, you will only take into account net profit tax and not gross-based taxes. 
this is very important to take into consideration. The second thing is we cannot include, for example, Mexican withholding tax in certain way because this withholding tax will be credited, for example, in the case of the U.S. in accordance to the system. Well, that's too bad because uh, because that would have given us at least a little bit of a buffer. Yeah, and I think the question I have on that, too, is just when you start talking about those payments and, and tax what if the U.S. entity is making losses? Does that automatically disqualify the payments? No. If the payable have also had a loss, if the Mexican rules apply, it will be still be able to qualify for the deductions. It doesn't matter, for example, if the payee generates income, but at the end the result is that we have a, a tax loss and it will be exactly the same result in Mexico, you will still qualify in order to take the deduction. So that if, if the payee has income and it would not have made the 22.5% test, then you're in danger. But if the payee is in an NOL position, but if it had been Mexican, it would also have been in an NOL position, then the payment would be okay? Is that what you just said? Exactly. You will be okay because at the end the test is saying you have to calculate the 75% of the tax that will be payable in Mexico. And in accordance of the Mexican law, the result is a loss as it has been in the case of the U.S., so you will be okay and you can take the deduction. Now I understand, because I think we're translating, I, at least I am translating this to a 22.5% test, and it's really not that. It's 75% of the tax that would have been paid in Mexico, which is a little bit different, and you can see that difference playing out kind of in the loss context. Got it. One other area, Armando, that when we think about state and local taxes, we are constantly having discussions about what that profile looks like on a separate entity basis, a consolidated group basis, or an affiliated group basis. Is the consideration done on an entity-by-entity entity basis, or does it really formulate around that consolidated or affiliated group? Well, currently, the law is making reference that this analysis has to be payment-by-payment payment analysis. So taxpayers are asking for an entity-by-entity entity option Guidance in this respect is needed to tell us how to allocate expenses for the analysis, especially for a payment-by-payment payment approach. From a practical perspective, then, uh, one of the other things that I would think about is it's not really just trying to hit that 22.5% rate. As U.S. companies can sometimes qualify for FIDI, we're talking about 13 and an 8% rate. On the U.S. side, we spend an awful lot of time allocating expenses to FIDI income, to get that ETR as low as possible. It seems that creates tension on the on the Mexican side as taxpayers in this instance would be trying to allocate expenses in a way that gets the effective rate as high as possible on that same income. Yeah, and I would add to that, Courtney, that it's much harder to manage a 9% rate gap than a 1% to 2% rate gap. Few, if any, companies have a 9% state ETR. So I think we have to consider substance as well when we're looking at all of these qualifications. And when organizations are looking at the impact, they'll need to understand the substance of both the entities and the transactions. Now, you might have historically encountered a company that just held intellectual property and charged out for the use of that intellectual property. And so it begs the question, well, what about some of the people and other assets that both support the business, hold the risk and profit, but also containment of that intellectual property being utilized? And I know some of our clients have been asking questions, worrying about whether those FIDI payments could actually be treated as hybrid uh, payments under these rules. 
So if you flunk the rate test, you would not qualify. And then there's no substance test that would come back to save you. Yes, hybrid for Mexican tax purposes includes entities, payments, or deductions, no inclusion in scenarios. For city payments, there is no character or entity, but there is an exemption, which raises the issue of deduction, no inclusion. We don't have official guidance yet in that respect. But for now, we think that Philly does not present a hybrid situation for these purposes. Well, I think that's a good thing. I can see a potential for a number of clients with Philly benefits that, for example, ex exports goods to a Mexican sales entity. U.S. companies have spent the last two years really distinguishing between deductions and cost of goods sold as deductions would trigger beat problems, but then cost of goods sold would not. Yeah, the, the situation here in Mexico about the cocks is something that is very special in the area of the maquiladora industry. You have all you have the scenario where there is the U.S. principal with the maquiladora here in Mexico, and you have the Mexican sales company located in Mexico. Usually, you see that all of the inventory that is produced by the maquiladora is sending directly to the Mexican sales company, and in this transaction, for example, there isn't personal and assets involved from the U.S. side. In accordance to the law, we can consider this income as a passive and take into consideration that if the U.S. principal is not reaching the 22.5% that we have just mentioned, this will be a situation where the costs for the Mexican company that is selling those that inventory won't be deductible. There are a lot of concerns in the industry and they have sent several communications to the tax authorities in order that they have to clarify this situation that is so common. We need to have clarity that this rule won't be applicable. And that structure with the maquila on the one side and the sales entity on the other side, the Mexican sales entity, that's really common amongst the U.S. manufacturers. And because FIDI doesn't actually have kind of a U.S. Um, content requirement, I would think that a lot of those structures are right now, as, as we've said, looking at the FIDI benefits for what look like exports from the U.S. principal out to the Mexican sales entity for further distribution outside the United States. I think that's a huge surprise and, and as I said, very, very common. So, Armando, I think another surprise comes with respect to back-to-back -back payment. Offline, you told us that, you know, for example, if Mexico makes a royalty payment to the U.S. and then the U.S. then makes another payment, another deductible payment to an affiliate in a different jurisdiction, those payments could be related to each other and, and somehow that second payment could be implicated under those rules. Can, can you explain what's, what's going on here? The potential problem that we are facing here in this back-to-back -back payments is if the final recipient of the income is subject to a preferential tax regime, that this means that they don't, they don't meet the criteria of, of, to pay 22.5% of the tax uh, that has been payable in Mexico, that this will be created a situation where the payment made by the Mexican company in first instance won't be deductible for these purposes. Whereas you could see that there would be a, a lot of payments that would be implicated from Mexico to the U.S., you can see that there are a whole lot of payments that may or may not actually be factually related coming from the U.S. to other entities within the global group. So how does that attribution work? This is a very difficult task because at the end there is not a conduct situation here. The law is saying that if in any way in an agreement the beneficial owner of that payment is a related entity that is subject to a preferential regime, you will be under the scope of this rule. Here it's very important to, to take into consideration that it doesn't matter 
what is the concept in which you are making the second payment. So we don't need to match the, the payment. So if Mexico is paying royalties and then second payment is interest, the rule is applicable. So there is no way to, to be outside arguing that we have different kind of payments. The rule is applicable. So this is a big point. Because the U.S. isn't the only country with a lower corporate tax rate than maybe has been historically the case. Germany, Canada, the U.K., Switzerland, just to name a few, have corporate tax rates that are under 22.5%. So if, if you're trying to get there on an ETR perspective, I would think that just like we've talked to Jeff about what we do in the United States, we're going to have to be calling Jeff's counterparts in those other countries as well. Right. I think there's another complexity there, too, Kim. As a practical matter, when I think about going and looking at intercompany GLs, we've got a ton of payments that often just get lumped together. Right. So I can envision a scenario where the U.S. gets a payment from Mexico and then there are other payments, like you said, going out to Switzerland or otherwise. So it's really what payments are coming in and what are going out and what's related because everybody hates to set up new accounts on the GL. Actually, what the, that the companies are doing now is try to separate all of the flows that comes from Mexico in a, in a separate financial account in order to use that money to make payments in both ways, or dividends, or probably to third parties as a final payments in order to avoid to follow the track where the money at the end arrives. So this is a very important issue that we have to take into consideration. The other thing that is important to mention, you cannot be outside of the rule due to the fact that you are making a payment, for example, on royalties, and the second payment can be interest or services, etc. Notwithstanding that we can have a mismatch of concepts, the law is very wide, and in that respect, it doesn't matter that you are, paying, you are making payments with different brands or different categories. The important point for the law is who is the final recipient, and if this final recipient is subject to a preferential tax regime. And I guess that, that that seems to be kind of the difference, not to be like particularly pedantic or splitting hairs, but it seems to be the difference between kind of a conduit arrangement and, and a kind of an attribution type of approach. Because conduit is a little bit more factually connected between payment one and payment two. So <laughs> although I think we could talk for hours about this, we probably need to start wrapping up this discussion. But but clearly, this is not the end of the story. So, Armando, when, when do you think we're going to see more guidance from the Mexican government on this? We are waiting that a set of regulations probably will, will, will be published between October and November, taking into consideration that at the end of this year, the companies need to start to review all of the tax accounts in order to determine the tax to be paid for the year. And one of the things that we have to take into consideration is there is a lot of tax policy issues around this new provision. There is certain technical issues that have been resolved by the tax administration and the Minister of Finance as well. So we are waiting a very huge package of regs in order to probably determine certain aspects in which we have to apply or not this rule. Probably certain conclusions that we have just described can change for, uh, with, that, with those rules. So we are waiting for that because as I told you, the impact of this reform has been very deep, and many companies have modified certain aspects of the way that they are making transactions with Mexican subsidiaries. So that's very important to wait and see what will be the final outcome of these regs. But this is something that we expect between, as I told you, October and November. 
So I think, Armando, this means that we're going to be inviting you back. We can pick up this discussion uh, towards the end of the year, like maybe right before the holidays. Um, and let's cross our fingers for good news. And in the meantime, everyone, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, stay safe. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to speaking to you next time.